trust me, you're going to want to stick around all the way to the end of this episode. I promise you it's going to be worth it. Not only do I have Ryan Payton on here to talk about his memories of the Dreamcast, but also Shenmue 1, Shenmue 2, and some fantastic information about Shenmue 3. And he also did a Q&A with Yu Suzuki himself. So great information coming up right now on Back in My Play. Welcome back to Back in My Play. My name is Kevin Larrabee, and we are continuing the Summer of Dreamcast, and I am so excited to get on the show, Ryan Payton of Camouflage. Ryan, how you doing? Hey, man. Thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> well, this is the wonders of the internet where uh, just Twitter, you know, just yeah. finding out that that you wanted to talk about the Sega Dreamcast, and oddly enough, I like I've been following you from like all the way back. It might have been... It was probably like an eight four show when you were still with mm-hmm. uh, Kojima Productions and, right, um, and and following you along through there, you know, going to three four three, and now you have launched uh, Camouflage with Republic, which is now on physical edition on PlayStation Four. If you guys want to go pick it up, it's also available on iPad for you mobile folks as well. Yeah, I think we shipped on seven, what, six platforms. Um, wow. Well, I, yeah, I, so. I was just out in Japan, and I saw the huge, there was huge store, um, like, uh, end caps for, for the game as well. So you guys oh, had a huge launch in Japan, too. Yeah, no, yeah, Gung Ho did a great job promoting it over here. Well, I, yeah, by the way, I'm, I'm recording this in Japan at the moment. I'm not to live <laughs> here, but I'm just here on business, and... Uh, and yeah, they did a great job promoting the game, so that was, that was, that was a lot of fun. But we're gonna go, we're gonna go way back in time because yeah, this is this is all about the the Dreamcast, and uh, we have tons of special things to talk about. But um, I, I really want to start this show just talking about like your history with the console and what really your main memories are of it. Yeah, no, I had a that the console is a very special place in my heart, you know. Uh, probably my most beloved console looking back. Uh, and it's, it's, it's funny this listening to your show. I have like similar stories and, you know, to like what, what, you know, what we, what you went through and what, what JJ went through and what Greg <laughs> went through. Um, uh, you know, I, I was in college when it came out, uh, just like JJ, I skipped school of the day on September 9th. Um, <laughs> but my, but mine didn't go as smoothly as his experience did because it seems like his parents are really, uh, supportive of his decision to <laughs> right. take a day off and buy a console <laughs> and play it all day. Uh, for me, uh, I was I was going up to school. I was going to school up in uh, Tacoma, Washington, mm-hmm. um, and uh, which is about two two and a half hours uh, north of where my folks live in in Portland. I had reserved the console at a uh, at an electronic boutique in Portland many many months ago before I even went to school, and so I figured you know I can maybe drive down there on the ninth. Uh, I'll save money on tax because there's no sales tax in Oregon, mm-hmm. and uh, so I just skipped school that day. Um, but my father, uh, who still to this day is a, is a, is a salesman who kind of drives around all over the state. Funny enough, he was on I five South same <laughs> time I was, and he saw me like racing by at like 75 miles an hour going South at like, I don't know, at, like 11 o'clock in the morning. Perfect. And this is before, you know, everybody had cell phones. And so, uh, I had no idea that my dad was on the highway as I'm driving down, skipping school, you know, going by on a Dreamcast. Um, and somehow I forgot how I got in contact with him and, uh, and, and 
while well, I was down there or something. I can't remember how how he found out, but I got like a message from him, like I know where you are or something. <laughs> and so I just fessed up, and I just I actually came by the house uh, after I picked up the Dreamcast, and we had and had dinner with my folks, and I plugged in the Dreamcast for the first time. I had Soul Calibur, and uh, they were just like kind of rolling their eyes over the whole thing. But they did say I remember them be, commenting on how like real lifelike everything looked and mm. it's it just a really funny memory of like skipping school and uh, actually playing it at home with my folks well that's what it was soul caliber was the big you know showpiece title for that where the graphics were something that was something that we had never seen in home console up until that point yeah yeah exactly so that was uh yeah that was kind of a, a cool uh cool cool moment for me and then it just that my obsession with the with the console just kind of just took went went to all in all sorts of directions in fact at one point i thought i was going to write a book about the history of dreamcast you know i was interviewing some folks um like um uh, like mike fisher from from sega mm-hmm. um but yeah that never ended up materializing but uh yeah this just shows like the the extent that uh, i was obsessed with that thing is that something you would ever want to maybe pick back up down the road because it seems like if anything the community in the fandom of the dreamcast and the love of the dreamcast is just growing no, yeah, I agree. You know, and I thought the same thing, Kevin. And then just in preparation for your show, I went and I found my old transcript of the like the first draft of the book. And I thought, oh, my God, nobody was going <laughs> to do this. This is, this is embarrassing. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then I guess, you know, throughout the whole, you know, Dreamcast era, I, uh, yeah, I was just consuming as much content and buying as many games as I could. And I was just so into it. Um, and uh, what, but one of the other, like, I guess the biggest memories for me that I had was um, – was towards the end of life cycle. You already kind of talked about how piracy really took over, mm-hmm. you know, and as, as a somewhat poor college student, um, I remember going up into, to driving up to Vancouver, BC. And, uh, there was a, uh, uh, like a game shop, but it wasn't like a real game shop, like a normal one. It was like a pirated game shop that had no <laughs> signage. And I don't remember how I found this place. And I would go there, you know, every couple months and I would pick up games that normally I wouldn't buy mostly imports. And I had a pretty, I think pretty solid policy about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for, for games like Fantasy Star or Quake, I would I would buy the fifty dollar game. But you know, I'd go up there and I would try out stuff like the stuff I just didn't think was worth maybe fifty dollars, like the eighteen wheel trucker game. I can't remember mm-hmm. what it was called. Um, but I remember one time I I showed up there because I had a, I got a T shirt somehow from Sega, maybe from buying like the keyboard or something. And I showed up there one day with my Sega Dreamcast T shirt on, and the guy like freaked out, like closed all of his books, like was like hiding everything, and and I'm like, dude, what's going on? It's, what's what's going on? He's like. Do you work for Sega? And like, no, 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 of course not. They said, oh, okay, okay, cool. So I'll show you what I have. And uh, so I, I, unfortunately, I feel like I kind of contributed to the downfall of that console because of the rampant piracy and everything. I think we were all doing our part to the point where I, I bought a used uh, Dreamcast. Uh, I mean, I've been going through just the craziness of checking out like all the revisions and, and stuff like that. So I, I found right. a, a cheap Dreamcast on eBay and not mentioned in the listing, but included in the box were a bunch of burnt pirated mm. games. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so, unfortunate. Bonus. Yeah. It, it is, it is really unfortunate. And, um, there's still people out there that are still making use of disc juggler, but doing it for better purposes. Like there's tons of, there's a huge indie community that's now supporting, uh, the Dreamcast and homebrew stuff, which is a little bit, uh, you know, grayish area, but, Go yeah, well, now, now, now I figure it's okay because yeah. you, know, you 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 go on eBay and you buy a a, a real copy of it's Crazy Taxi and Sega's not going to see any money to that. So yeah, it, it's really tough to figure out how, what is the best way to support uh, these games as as someone. I mean, we we had 
the we're going to talk about Shenmue in a little bit, but you know the the idea of wanting to continue to support these Sega franchises that really lived for the most part on the Dreamcast. Some kind of made the transition to the the original Xbox with like Jet Set Radio Future, but um, how how do we tell Sega that yeah you know we would love to have these games updated or at least brought over to the current generation of consoles so we can continue these franchises and not just have them sit on the uh, you know the IP shelf like Shenmue did for so many years. Right. I mean, I feel like the the best way we could send our messages is, is by buying those like those Dreamcast ports and that they, mm-hmm. that they release every once in a while. And then and then yes, I don't think there's a better way for the community to show how much they love the Dreamcast of that era than what happened with the Shenmue Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was uh, there was a piece in uh, I think actually surprised I have it in front of me uh, May eleventh two thousand. Uh, 16 Sega Europe community man manager uh, Dan Sheridan stated that Sega would quote love to release HD ports of Shenmue and Shenmue 2 and we're investigating how to make it a reality so they are they must yeah, be hearing yeah. something so yeah yeah no of course yeah, the Shenmue community is extremely extremely vocal so I'm sure they hear it all the time just make sure if you're going to do it through sh- social media just keep it positive folks so let's just make sure <laughs> yes, like right. we're not threatening anyone's lives to get a uh, you know a port like you said a like 18 wheel trucker on on you know, <laughs> Xbox exactly. one or something like that um, but you know outside of of the launch you know what are the games that really I don't want to ask you for I mean unless you have it like your your top 5 Dreamcast games what were the games that really were you know vital for your love of that console yeah, I mean, I actually kind of sketched up a, a top five list, Love it. Um, and I won't I won't go deep into the stuff that you guys already talked about. But um, uh, one will, obviously is, is Shenmue Two, um, which we'll be talking about a lot uh, in the show, um, and then uh, the Fancy Star Online, like 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 Mark McDonald, like like JJ. Um, yeah, this <laughs> huge huge game, huge, huge influence for me. And as a mm-hmm. big Destiny fan, I could see just how influential that game was to so many people. Um, you know, NFL NFL Two K One was a game I put in so much so many hours but um and then uh the the, the other one that you got you and greg had talked about quite a bit was uh virtual tennis yes uh which i absolutely adore and i think it's a really amazing really solid game and then finally um, the round on my list which is a game that hasn't been talked about too much uh is actually crazy taxi mm-hmm. um which i don't know if you got too much into that kevin hey you you, you talked i have i have a copy of crazy taxi right next to me and uh i i actually popped it in a couple days ago because I, I i was giving I was maybe mentioning in one of the episodes saying, you know, maybe Crazy Taxi doesn't hold up super well in 2016, but mm. yeah, it does. If you if you want to oh, pop it in and it's like in the rotation, like pop it in and, and, and you know, bring some people to KFC, bring people to the, the yep. Levi store, you can totally yeah, have some records. fun doing it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like all these, all these outlets that no longer exist in, <laughs> in 2016, if you want to go back in time and, and yeah, listen to the offspring, listen um, to the bad religion offspring. Like you can get a, a great, uh, a great idea of what 1999 was like for, for us in America. Right. Or at yeah, least through the eyes of like Japanese, through developers. the eyes of the Japanese, correct. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, for me in that game, uh, you know, I was, like I mentioned that when the Dreamcast came out, I was in college. And so that was a game that came out a little, a little bit after launch. And, uh, it was a game that took over, uh, the, my dorm at least. And, uh, we had a couple guys who had Dreamcast, so they'd come over to my room and play it. And we'd write our high scores up on like one of the communal like whiteboards in the, in the <laughs> dorm. And that was just a really great memory, you know, it's, you know, it's before a lot of like online leaderboards and it was just a, um, it was a game I was obsessed with. I was constantly trying to improve my score, which, 
for people who know me, it's it's a very uh, it's, it's a it's very unlike the type of games I normally play. I'm not really big fighting game fan. I'm not really mm-hmm. big action game fan. I like mostly like things with stories. Surprise, surprise. But for whatever reason, I got really hooked on on Crazy Taxi and just the there, for those who got really into the game. There's actually like this technique. It's kind of like the, the equivalent of like the claw technique for Monster Hunter, but you have to kind of like do this weird trick with your left hand and the controller to try, try to time um, these like different brake brake plus acceleration and oh, it yeah. gets you these boosts. And just doing that over and over and over again for you know runs that can take a half an hour, forty five minutes, would just just destroy your hand. But it, it was all worth it. Jeez, I, I never thought to relate it to the claw technique of Monster Hunter on the PSV, but yeah, that's actually a pretty good, pretty good <laughs> analogy. Um, and, and to the credit of the of the developers in Japan, I mean, they were, I mean, KFC, as you know, is still gigantic in Japan, and maybe like one of the few Tower Records stores. Like every time I'm in Shibuya, I'm always walking by the Tower Records. It's still there, at least. So maybe they, in terms of I don't know. I haven't seen a Fila store in Japan, but they at least had those two <laughs> locked down for for Japan in 2016, I guess. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. So, you know, to their from, from their perspective, like these are like the big franchises. They must have said that oh, we had to have, we got we got to have these, you know. <laughs> got to have the the KFC. Have, have yeah, you got to have the KFC? Got to have Kentucky. Have, have you done the uh, the the Christmas or I guess yeah, it would be Christmas Day KFC order. Uh, I've, I've never done it. And I hope I never do it. But uh, you probably should uh, tune your listeners in. I, and I, I'm curious if you know how that all came about, too. No, I just I all just right. heard it like secondhand from you know friends in Japan. All right. So you know, friends in Japan will hear this, and maybe they'll correct me if I'm if I'm misinterpreting some of this. But from from my from what I know, uh, anybody who spends time in Japan, especially around Christmas Christmas Day, it's all about buying Kentucky Fried Chicken. It's not about buying a turkey. It's <laughs> about lining up you can reserve it in advance and it's this huge thing they have lines around the block at all these kfc's all across the country pre-order your kfc early yeah it's it's, isn't that insane and the i read an article about it maybe five six years ago um that it just kind of a brilliant marketing move one of these expats from america was here in japan many many years ago many decades ago Right as Japan is trying to become more westernized, and they're trying to figure out a way to, you know, boost sales of Kentucky Fried Chicken, and they ran this TV ad that basically said Christmas equals KFC, and this is around the time that you know the Japanese are trying to understand more about the West, and they just interpreted that as truth, and they thought, oh, everybody in America, ever on Christmas Day, they just go out and buy KFC, so I guess that's what we're going to do too, and it became this huge national phenomenon that still continues to this day, even though it's complete BS. So, wow. uh, yeah, it's, uh, really, really funny how, how, how marketing can be so strong, you know, when, when done at the right time, you know, with the right people, you know, well, I'm, I'm just happy to have my picture with the Christmas edition of the Colonel. Um, it, it was probably, <laughs> I think it was in like Akihabara or something like that, where I got my arm around him and had that picture somewhere on my, yeah. my <laughs> iPhotos cloud or something. Yeah, I do treasure it. Absolutely. Um, Fun fact about crazy taxi. And this is when I was doing, I don't think I mentioned the other shows, but doing like research for this stuff. Uh, like Richard Donner, like of Lethal Weapon, was supposed to make a Crazy Taxi movie. But yeah, then, I kind of vaguely remember that seeing that. Wow, IGN dot com. Yeah, it, yeah. Keep it keep it locked to Dreamcast at IGN dot com in case he wants to, you know, come back on that project. Come back to it, right? Yeah, that's good. Um, Okay, outside of, of those, are there any any big ones? Were there any? I mean, obviously, you're spending a lot of time in Japan. Was any of your love for Japan influenced by the the games of the Dreamcast at that time? 
Um, that's a really good question. I remember being here during the launch of the Dream, or around the time of the launch of the Dreamcast. Uh, uh, I didn't buy one because it was it was pretty expensive. I was just really into the to the PlayStation One at the time, like mm-hmm. buying all these games that I really wanted. So I've I've done those kind of pilgrimages that you've done as well. You know, where you go to Akihabara and spend <laughs> an, 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 just an insane amount of money on on games that you don't really need. Um, but uh, yeah, for the Dreamcast, it was. Uh, I mean, I hate the. I, I know I keep bringing it back to, to Shemu, but it was that was the game that uh, was just it came at a, at the perfect crossroads in my life mm-hmm. um, when I was. So I was I had really lucky. I went to a high school that actually had a Japanese class as a, that you can you can take to fulfill your foreign language commitment. Wow! Um, and so you know, I studied Japanese you know for two two and a half years in high school and then when I went to, to college I continued to study some Japanese mm-hmm. and so it was right around that time when uh, when Shenmue came out in, in Japan and I had imported it using my modded uh, Dreamcast I had played the whole game through in Japanese um, for the first time ever doing that um, I had previously imported other titles like for other consoles like Final Fantasy 7 mm-hmm. Final Fantasy 8 and tried to play them in Japanese like a lot of folks who end up working over here you know they'll they'll like John Ricciardi and things like that. Those guys like like that will have, will have done that. But it was the it was, Shenmue was the game that I could finally get through the whole game. I was just so committed to it, and I think it has something to do with the fact that um, of all the voiceovers, right? Which was a big mm-hmm. deal um, uh, back then. It was that the game was fully voiceovered, and I could so I could understand, I could hear what they're saying, and it, so I didn't have to just rely on what is how much kanji do I can I remember? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I I don't know. I I don't even know. Was was the voice acting good in Shenmue and Shenmue Two? Because I've been playing through two uh, the the European release, so the the voices are in Japanese, and I I think the voice acting is actually really good. Or maybe it's just yeah. because I don't understand Japanese. No, I, I, I again, I'm, I think that we should we should probably find a real Japanese person and and, and, and <laughs> right. ask them. But uh, for the definitive answer, but yes, from from my perspective, I think that. Especially for the time, I think the the Japanese voice acting is actually quite good. Uh, whereas we all know about the English voice acting is just un- unbelievably bad. Um, the translation, localization, everything about it was very poor. Um, but yeah, so I when so playing it, yeah, in, in Japanese, I thought it was uh, it, it it just felt like a, like a movie, and I didn't feel like it was very silly at all. Um, and uh, just just doing some research now, just getting ready for your show, I, mm-hmm. I kind of watched some more playthroughs of, of Shenmue One and Two in Japanese, and yeah, they're. Wow, it's it's so much so much better in Japanese, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel bad like uh, crapping on the the poor voice actors that had to do Shenmue One, especially like the children in Shenmue One in English <laughs> sound like they're from hell. <laughs> yes, yeah, the poor children in a lot of games uh, they they end up sounding really weird, like in Heavy Rain uh, with those <laughs> yeah. French accents. Uh, but yeah, you know, and I I'd like to think that yeah, like the the voice actors aren't to blame, right? Is that they they just had they probably didn't have much of a, a very good director. Right. Um, you know, the script, oh my God, yeah, done very poorly uh, from the localization perspective. So, but yeah, it's uh, it's, it's much preferred to play it in Japanese, that's for sure. Well, let's talk a, a little bit more about uh, Shenmue 1 because that, that, might be, that might be the game of the console for me. Maybe it will be Shenmue 2 by the time that I, <laughs> that I make it through that, you know, much more epic uh, extended journey. But um, for, for you, was it was it really the the characters? Was it the setting? Was it the story? Was it just the whole package? What what made Shenmue One so special for you? Yeah, well, I think it, like looking back, it 
and, and even today when 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 you're really excited about a, a game and you're looking forward to it that's that's sometimes that's half of the the fun is even before the game comes out and learning about it and seeing the trailers and trying mm-hmm. to you know get, get yourself ready for it so for for me and and for for Shenmue in particular i just remember you know, reading through the official Dreamcast magazine and then the yep. IGN sites and just hearing about first this, these rumors of this virtual fighter RPG. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what really kicked things off for me. I mean, that sounded awesome because again, again, not as a hardcore uh, fighting game fan and it was more of a guy who likes stories really into Metal Gear Solid. Wow. That sounds perfect. I'm so excited for that. So uh, just following what they end up calling uh, project uh, Berkeley um, mis- spelled miscorrectly, by the way, from Yu Suzuki um, and just following the, yeah, the, the, uh, Every, anything, everything I could about it, including this, uh, this promotional disc that came out before even the release of the game called What's Shenmue? I don't know if you've looked at that or you've heard about that. No, was that part of the official Dreamcast magazine? Oh, this is a release only in Japan. Whoa. Uh, it was a disc that, uh, yeah, it was, it was the, the actual title of the disc and the packaging was called, it was called What's Shenmue? And Whoa. this is a way for, for them to do like a, uh, it was a, it was a, it was a pre-order bonus, um, and they also, I think, they included it in a Famitsu magazine. Um, but uh, I, I, I guess the the logic behind it was because the game was 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 delayed. They had like kind of like a demo disc mm-hmm. um, to kind of uh, whet the appetite of, of users, and it came out about six months before the actual release of the game. And it's a very short demo, but it has a totally unique scenario that that uh, that involves the um, the former. Uh, CEO of, of Sega, uh, Yukawa, which you no guys have talked way. about. No way. Know, where he's like on the packaging and all that kind of stuff. And he's even on the packaging on the front of this What's Shenmue, which is all about finding Yukawa-san in this world of you know, Yokosuka, right? That is awesome. I have to find this. I have to <laughs> yes. find Okay, perfect. There's there's a video. There's a complete video playthrough of the... De- oh, my God. I had no idea Yeah, and I think this one this. on YouTube, it's, it's probably one of the first... Uh, entries is actually tra- it's already been translated in english by some fans so uh yeah even though it never came out outside of japan whoa this is at the hot dog stand and everything oh yeah tom's there he's speaking really kind of insultingly bad japanese with a huge american accent that i can't even understand oh no um <laughs> but so I, I I can't remember if um I put in my my I put in my U.S. copy uh, a while ago, but I can't remember if I'm looking at this video right now and there's Coca Cola branding on the yes, vending yes. machines in the Japanese version, but those aren't in the U.S. version, right? I be, uh, I want to say that they are, um, but yeah, I my, my but no, you know what? I don't I can't say because I don't know if I ever played the English version of of Shenmue. I only played the Japanese version, so I'm only I do remember the Coke machines from that. But maybe they were in the U.S. version. Yeah, this is the the, the great thing of, of stalling on podcasts on the internet, where I can um, take a look <laughs> at uh, at YouTube videos. But and there's I've been doing like some looking at the just like the fan community behind Shenmue and people that have gone through. Yeah, wow. I mean, it's no, they don't have the the Coca Cola brand in the U.S. version. Wow. Oh, no kidding. Because that was, I know that was a big kind of hurdle for the the people that did want to get those HD re-releases that you have to then relicense all that stuff, which right. sounds like an absolute nightmare. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Have you picked up the, the Shenmue uh, vinyls that were no. released? Oh. No, no, I haven't. Oh, no. Okay. Well, hopefully those are still available, but th- that's something that you're going to definitely want to uh, throw in there. Yeah, I'm looking at this this video and it just says cola on it. That's okay. Interesting that they didn't get the license. No, I'm, I'm going to need to pick up a copy of the Japanese version of Shenmue now. I want to try. Yeah, you're going to have uh, to. Yeah. 
it is at it's a perfect reason to spend a 100 yen in a shop well, next time I'm in Japan. You know what? So I just uh, a, couple, a couple of days ago, I was in Akihabara and uh, looking for looking to drop an absurd amount of money on this very <laughs> rare Japanese PS1 title. Um, what and, were you looking uh, at? Uh, I don't even want to say, but it's like cause it's three hundred dollars. <laughs> oh, no. um, thankfully, I didn't do it. I just I sat there and I thought about it for for a few minutes. But um, I went I, just just for in preparation. I went and checked to see what the prices were in in Mandrake uh, over at Akihabara and uh, for for Shenmue One and Two. And mm-hmm. Shenmue One was about three thousand yen, about thirty dollars. And then Shenmue Two was about I want to say it was five thousand. Whoa! The prices are going up a ton. Yeah, yeah. Uh, last time I was there, there were like 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 rows in the in the trader store for like 200 or 300 yen like tons of copies yeah maybe, maybe trader has it for way cheaper but um at, at mandrake which is a pretty reputable uh, absolutely great prices yeah, so I, was, I was i was surprised oh maybe that is just a i mean we saw it here in the states when it came to just used copies of, of the game of shenmue one and shenmue two on ebay which prices have just really skyrocketed mm-hmm. since the the announce uh, announcement of shenmue three but um i guess i guess that makes sense Ship, japan should be excited as well it's gonna be yeah i know i'd like to think that it has something to, the, the announcement of shenmue three has something to do with the japanese maybe uh you know, going back and, and, and trying to replay the series, but I'm curious for, for you, Kevin. What what you, what is your memories like leading up to the launch of, of Shenmue? Did you buy it at launch, or did you? Were oh, you I was kind of following it very closely. It, it was Dreamcast. Dreamcast Magazine had uh, obviously the demo disc that we got every other month or whatever it was, and uh, there was a, a trailer for that in every single issue it was every issue it was almost like it was almost like their ocarina of time for nintendo power because mm-hmm. every single issue there were more screenshots there were more people saying uh like this is going to be the the most epic adventure that you'll ever go on and that's when i really started getting interested in japan because it was it was a world that i had never seen outside of like like movies and even for movies there weren't like a lot of movies that were taking place in Japan or in Tokyo for you know for me as a 12 year old at the time so um i i really just love the the look and this is a weird thing about me Ryan like i one of the, my favorite things about Japan are the vending machines Oh, yeah, it's one of the best things, that's for sure. And, it, and the it's convenience stores, right? And it's it's the vending machines, it's the convenience stores, it's like having it's it's almost the and I've never found a good way to articulate this, but it's almost the appreciation of all the stuff that I love that people don't really appreciate here in the States. If right, that makes right. any sense. No, um, I know exactly what you're talking about. So that that was that was the big thing. And um as soon as I saw that video, like if if a game just had incredible visuals or graphics, like that was something that would be a, a must purchase for me like Resident Evil Code Veronica same idea right. uh, it Not just totally. it looked better than anything I had ever seen on a home console at that time so I I had to buy it so I ended up trading in like it was probably I traded in something to get a copy of Shenmue I, I don't know what it was but um, I ended up picking it up and unfortunately I got stuck at a certain point and then the PlayStation 2 came out and my friend down the street got that so Oh no, and that was all all over downhill from there for Shimbo. Well, yeah, because it, it, I I was so easily influenced by the guy that worked at uh, EB Games because he would say, "Oh well, the, is it you know, the same guy? Who, it, like, it why just, do you 
<laughs> like, oh no, like the PS2 is like bombing hardcore in Japan. It, it, it was the same exact thing, but in reverse, because that's when, and it was when the stories started coming out of, you know, Dreamcast and or Sega of America calling it quits on the, on the Dreamcast hardware. So I was like, I don't want to bet on a, you know, a horse that's not going to win this race. I'm going to just... I'm going to go to the PlayStation 2 and then eventually it was not even the PlayStation 2 but I ended up getting a getting an Xbox because it for me and a big selling point was it was kind of the successor of of the Dreamcast and I knew it was going to have the franchises that I wanted to play on it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. And uh and so that's that's interesting. So do you remember how how uh how far into the into Shenmue you got before uh uh, it's somewhere somewhere in the second disc and by the time that I played through it again completely a couple of years ago I realized I was so close to the end I was so oh, close I was like yeah. maybe half an hour 45 minutes to oh, the no end kidding. um but you know again after after going through and and replaying it and I I still believe that it holds up incredibly well and it's something that you don't you can't really experience in other games even the stuff that does it does seem like bad mechanics, like having to just wait outside of a a restaurant until it opens to ask right. a guy yeah, a question. Exactly. Because oh, where man. else can you get that? So I don't know if uh, Kevin, if you want to uh, kind of tease some of the fun stuff we're going to do at the end of the show. To um... <laughs> absolutely. Um, okay. So what what we'll do um, right now is I, I know we'll definitely end up talking. Uh, I do want to talk to you about Shinmu Two a little bit because I want to continue to refuel myself to play through that because right now I am just going to my job and I'm moving boxes to the left and to the right <laughs> and yep. I'm really and I'm I'm going to uh, awesome temples and checking that stuff out but um, yeah what we're going to do and uh, seriously thank you so much to, to Ryan for for helping make this happen or actually for doing it himself is um, you got to talk to Yu Suzuki about Shenmue yep. which is uh, crazy <laughs> um, and I'm oh, sorry go ahead no, well, uh, so yeah, I, I had I had offered to Kevin and to, to your to your listeners that you know, if you're interested, you know, because I, I see I see Yu Suzuki uh, every two months or so because um, I'm helping out with the Shenmue Three project and uh, I, I I run the their advisory board meetings um, and so I just I told him like I told Kevin that you know next time I'm in Japan I'm more than happy to ask him a few questions you know some of my old burning questions about Shenmue One and Shenmue Two that. And I'll just bring the answers. Uh, I'll kind of reinterpret them uh, on, on on the air for for your show at the end of the show. Uh, so it'd be good. To, so I definitely want to have your listeners like stick around to the end because uh, I'll be able to. I'll sprinkle in a couple of those things as we're getting close, deeper and deeper into the games. But I do have some like really kind of fun anecdotes that I got out of him the, a couple of days ago. Awesome, and even uh, extra huge bonus for the the Patreon supporters because you guys are really why I've been able to continue to do this show on a weekly basis and set aside all the time uh, to put this stuff together. There are going to be some exclusive uh, answers from the Q&A as well for those Patreon supporters. So extra special uh, thank you from, from Ryan and myself. So um, yeah, let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about, about Shenmue 2 because um, Shenmue 1, of course, came out in the States and I was actually talking with uh, Tom from, I, I don't love the name of the website, but the Dreamcast Junkyard, <laughs> um, <Okay. laughs> the, one of the like, bigger fan sites for the Dreamcast today and uh, how 
you know, Shenmue 2 only came out in in Europe in English until it eventually got ported to the the original Xbox. So um, did, did you end up importing Shenmue 2? Is that something that you made sure you got that and your, your boot disc ready to go? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that was day one purchase. Uh, I believe I bought it online, maybe from EB Games. Um, and I know you guys had talked about this in a previous show that they actually end up selling the EU version or the European version in the stores, the brick and mortar mm. stores in the States. I thought it was amazing that they ended up doing that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, to be honest, like EB Games was not a bad place to get some import stuff towards the end of the life of like I bought a bunch of import Virtual Boy games from EB Games at one <laughs> yeah, point. Yeah, they, they they weren't kind of like the monolithic you know brick and mortar store that they are now. Um, yeah. In fact, when it comes to the Dreamcast, I have very fond memories of of EB. Uh, like I like I mentioned. Uh, well, kind of. Sorry, I'm kind of jumping all over the place here, but on launch day, you know, that's where I bought my, my Dreamcast, um, where I bought uh, Soul Calibur, and I also bought, which is insane, I also bought Final Fantasy VIII for the PlayStation <laughs> 1, because that came out on the same day. I don't people right. don't remember this. Um, I, I forget which was positioned first, but I, I, I kind of remember in the history of it being that Sony positioned Final Fantasy VIII to go up against the Dreamcast to make people say, like think, all right, don't get the Dreamcast, just here, go play another Final Fantasy that's, game. That's interesting. It makes a lot of sense. Um, and if you go back, I wish I could remember, maybe if, if you put in your show notes, um, there's a video online that everybody, any Shenmue fan should, should watch. Uh, it's, it's in Japanese. I think it's an NHK um, documentary on leading up to the launch of, of Shenmue in Japan. Um, and it has all of this incredible footage of the making of, of the game and, and Yu Suzuki at the height of his power where he's got 200, 300 people working on this project. Mm. In this, and then he's in this smoky, like, Bond villain lair um, looking room where he's got this big monitor and he's got like 30 people in this room who are not working on the game. They're just sitting around waiting for his feedback. And he's going, fix this, fix this. What are you doing? No, that's terrible. You know, he's just, you know, got like God tier inside of Sega at this point. And, um, and one of the shots that they have that's really incredible is they are all gather around a, a TV playing Final Fantasy VIII, which had just come out in Japan. And they yeah. were meticulously like going through it and looking and seeing what, what they were doing from like a CG perspective. Uh, and that, that must have been, I mean, I wish I could have been in the room at that time. Uh, but yeah, it was, it's, so it's kind of funny that he ended up having to go toe to toe with that game. Uh, for the launch in, in America because it came out on the same day. I, I, I found this, and it's, it's an hour long. Yes, it's totally worth it. Even if you can't understand Japanese, just watch it. The footage is unbelievable. Um, and uh, one of the things I will talk about uh, at the end of the show is going to be what Yu Suzuki's most uh, outstanding memory when it comes to this pre-launch event that they did in, in Yokohama, uh, which they have a ton of footage from from this, this video, uh, where... They, and yeah, he, he kind of he'll he'll talk a little bit about um, what he remembers specifically about that. But uh, yeah, there's so much money being spent, so much hype around this title. This is just incredible to see him at the front of like a, a boardroom table, just chilling out, smoking, just <laughs> making decisions, smoking, telling people like they're they're wrong about this and this and this, and we got to do this better and we got to do this better. He was so driven; it was it's unbelievable. And Ed, and Ed Freeze from Microsoft makes an appearance. This is pre Xbox, so they're starting to get ready to. And they're trying to get you Suzuki to get warmed up to the idea of, of, of working on Xbox potentially. It's really amazing. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, there he is. Wow. Um, sorry, I'm getting distracted because I really want to watch this. No, no, no. This is all good stuff. Okay. So um, 
Yeah, I mean, maybe we should start sprinkling in some uh, some of the Q and A uh, stuff now because I feel like you know this is definitely going to be a Shenmue uh, heavy episode. And I mean, I'm looking at my list of about three games that I really cannot wait for, and right at the top is Shenmue Three. Okay, <laughs> so you want to talk about Shenmue Three and how that came to be? Maybe. Hell yes. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so. The, the story goes is that, as, as, as your listeners now can tell, I'm really into Shenmue. It was, really, it was a really seminal game for me growing up. Especially can I, can first- I ask you, what it, what, like, what's it like to now be working on this franchise? Like, can I, I want to ask you this, because it must be like, somewhat surreal, even though that you've worked on all these gigantic franchises in your career, to now also be a part of Shenmue 3. Yeah, I mean, I, I just lived a, I just live a really charmed life. Uh, that's all I really <laughs> say, it's, you know, I feel incredibly lucky, and I'm, I remember, I've had, you know, I've had down down times in my life, like everybody's had down times in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, I've always been just so focused on, on this industry and the and these games that I love, and trying to contribute in a positive manner and try to be a positive person. So, uh, and that my biggest break, obviously, was being a, was working on the sequel to the sequel or to the, the, no, to the sequel, my favorite <laughs> video game of all time, um, being able to work on Metal Gear Solid four. Yes. And that was like my big break in the industry. And there's, you know, plenty of shows about that and that, that interesting story, but, and then moving on and becoming creative director in Halo four, mm-hmm. uh, another huge franchise, really big franchise for me. And so, and then since then, you know, it's more about just what can I offer these friends or these, these, these people in the industry that I can help out, Mm-hmm. Um, whether they're indie developers um, or whether they're, you know, these titans of, of video game history like Yu Suzuki. And I, I just remember after we had done our Kickstarter for our game Republic, I remember thinking and well, just thinking, just to, uh, talking to my good friend uh, Mark McDonald at A4, what are, what are just the, the last remaining games that, you know, will hit Kickstarter? You know, this is around Kickstarter so big. Mm-hmm. And we're thinking about all these, you know, these bucket list games that everybody wants. Like, okay, Half-Life 3. You know, Valve doesn't need the money, so <laughs> right. you're not going to see a Half-Life through Kickstarter. Um, this is before you know Mark would end up working with Ina Fuenesan on Mighty Number no. Nine, and so we're just kind of checking off all these lists. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, man, the game that would break Kickstarter, that would just take take all and and win the the and make the world record for the biggest video game Kickstarter would definitely be Shenmue Three. And I I uh, I just try I just went through my network and, and, and tracked down his email address, Yu Suzuki, and I emailed it, cold emailed him and said, I can help you make Shenmue 3. And well, no shit. <laughs> yeah. And he wrote me back and said, how? Who are you and how? <laughs> and uh, and I, I told him, hey, I gave him a little background. I said, well, I would love to talk to you, whether on the phone or in person. And I think this is around the time, I'm starting to forget, but I think this is around the time, it's like three years ago, Mm-hmm. Maybe before, where he was going to be at GDC to accept like a lifetime achievement award, and so we we planned to meet at GDC in San Francisco. He decided to take an extra few days to meet with me, so we just hung out in a hotel lobby, um, a little bit off um, off the beaten path at, from GDC. And he brought this he brought his computer. He brought all of his files from all of his time at Sega post Shenmue Two, where he's in kind of like this limbo where he's not able to work on much stuff, and he's had all these game concepts. And he's got all this, this script for Shenmue, the whole thing. He just, he just walks me through the whole thing for like a whole day. Mm-hmm. He says, this is all I have, Ryan. Like, I don't, again, he doesn't really know who I am, but he's like, this is what I have. You know, yeah, I would love to make Shenmue, but how do we do this? And I'm explaining to him what Kickstarter is. I'm explaining to him what, what 
what Unreal is and what Unity is and, and what what the, what a PlayStation Four you know this is this is pre PlayStation Four what a right. PlayStation Vita is you know explain to him what's going on what has been going on in the industry for the past twelve years that you've been out of the game um, and it was just incredible this eventually would lead to him coming to Seattle and him sitting on my home my couch in my home and me <laughs> loading up uh, Heavy Rain um, A Wolf Among Us. Uh, uh, Destiny and GTA Five to walk him through. Here are the games that he had influenced so heavily. Yes, um, and in, also here's here's Destiny, an example of like how here's here's an example of like a game that spent so much money that is kind of reminiscent of of all the rumors going around about Shenmue, about how much money you spent on on Shenmue, mm-hmm. um, and just can you imagine just you know being a a huge fan of his and him sitting on my couch like you know, drinking like a Diet Coke playing video games with me and I'm explaining to him what's going on with the game industry. <laughs> what is going on? This is like a crazy parallel universe. I, I mean, I, I, I can't even imagine as someone that has owned multiple outrun arcade machines and as I continue <laughs> to play his games, uh, throughout my life and going back to the ones that I miss and how much he has influenced every single game and every, like multiple genres in the industry. It's just, it's just, just fantastical. Right. And just going out to lunch with him, asking about things. And, but the, the perspective I took with him um, was really no different than what I took when I was working with, with Hideo Kojima, which is I have a lot of respect for these individuals, but I don't worship them. Right. And, and I, don't, I don't do what a lot of other people do. It's like, hey, can you sign, can you autograph this or mm-hmm. whatever you want, sir, you know, kind of thing. Like, you know, I, I, I stick to my gun. So uh, you, you, Suzuki, and I, we've had some pretty brutal moments where, uh, we went toe to toe and I, I told him exactly what I thought he was doing wrong. And he told me why I thought I was wrong. And this is when we're starting to get ready for the Kickstarter and work with Mark McDonald and the poor eight, four guys are at a dinner where I'm pretty close to just yelling at him inside of this, like this Italian restaurant in Shibuya about, <laughs> this is what the fans want. You don't, why don't you understand this? And he's like, no, 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 this is what the game is. This is what I want to try to do. And we're just going toe to toe, a lot of tension, but, um, it was all for for the right purpose. And I think that's the thing that he and I, that's why we've become such good friends is that he understands that I'm, I don't, I'm not doing this for the money. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing this to get my name attached. It's even in my contract with him that you don't have to put my name on anything. I don't care. All I want is for him to complete his career in a way that he can look back and be really proud of what he did, um, what he's created and all these amazing games that you'd mentioned. Uh, the, the, the Shenmue franchise for him, and especially if you think about it from a Japanese perspective, is just it's got. It, I know it. It must eat away at him mm. because he had just had so many successes after one, after another, another, and then to end his career at Sega with, which has you know mostly been considered like a failure of a game, especially from a financial perspective, right. and then not being able to complete this thing that he started must just eat away at him. And, and I know it does. Um, and so what I want to do is help this guy that helped who did such a great thing with the industry and help him, you know, finish the series. Now that being said, he's already talking about if that Shenmue three is successful, maybe there'll be a Shenmue four. I'm like, Oh man, okay, well <laughs> here we go again. But you know, that's, that's what he wants to do and I'll be there supporting him no matter what. Well, that's, that's outstanding to hear because, you know, a couple things first, um, clearly the, the Kickstarter was, uh, an enormous success. Uh, the Kickstarter itself broke records, uh, past $6 million in terms of, uh, funding and this game and, and he and, and you and the, the team, 
has to have a, a ton of pressure and a, and a ton of just, just unbelievable, not, yeah, I guess the best word is, is pressure because yeah. there are so many people that expect this game to be just everything that they've ever dreamed of for the last, like what, you know, 14 years. Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's an incredibly difficult thing to do what he's trying to do. And, you know, I'm, I'm and the, the thing that you could, that, that I can tell you, which is the absolute truth is this guy, like, I felt like I, I, I haven't watched a lot of Rocky movies, but I have, I'm assuming that a lot of the later Rocky movies are about guys trying to get like this old boxer back in, out of retirement and back into the ring. It's pretty and I accurate. Felt like, I felt that way uh, with him um, up until the, until the Kickstarter or, you know, a little bit before the Kickstarter. And now he is all in, he's sleeping at the office. His wife barely sees him. He is so wow. dedicated to this. Uh, and it just, it just warms my heart when I come into the office and just see his passion that he's, he's coming back and he's doing this thing that, uh, that he set off to do so many years ago. And, and yeah, the pressure's there, but I think we, he and I, one of the first things I did for the, for the board meeting is I, I made sure that we all understand what the goal is and I remind everybody what the goal is every single time I, we have a meeting, which is this game is for the fans. Mm-hmm. It's not supposed to do what Shemu did before, which is revolutionize the industry in a lot of ways. Even though people didn't know it was revolutionizing the industry, it was so forward thinking. Mm-hmm. It, that's not what Shemu 3 needs to be. We don't have the budget. You know, that's, and we, that's what the fans want either. They want right. to see the story continue. Exactly. And so that is what we're focused on. And as, as long as we execute on that, I feel like um, that that I'm, I'm at least hoping that the fans will be uh, will appreciate it. And we're keeping a close eye on other Kickstarter projects like that Mighty Number no. Nine that didn't work out as well. Mm-hmm. And that's at the top of his mind. He's aware of it, and he he knows that he can't repeat those kind of same mistakes. Great. Uh, I, I I mean I. Like I said, it's it's one of my uh, most anticipated games, and it is that hearing that story of of you know him getting like I don't even want to call it like a second chance, but we hear too many of these stories in you know the Japanese business world and development where you know you kind of make one mistake and you get the you get the corner office or you get the you know right. get an office with a nice view outside the window and you you have to sit there until your contract is up and that's it. You know, it's funny you mentioned corner office. Uh, I, now that I think about it, I haven't really made, I haven't connected these two dots too much. I must have told him this when I met him, though, but that to, to a much smaller degree, I know what he has gone through mm-hmm. um, because I was wooed by Microsoft and flew, relocated to go to Microsoft, become mm-hmm. a 28-year-old creative director on Halo 4, which I had no business doing. <laughs> and and for two years, like I think you know, doing a good job on the creative perspective, but mm-hmm. just doing a really poor job, I think, internal, doing, working internally at Microsoft and, and what they were expecting out of me. And I was, I was demoted in front of a lot of people that I had hired. It was incredibly embarrassing. And I was given a corner office for a year uh, just to kind of just like help me get ready for my next step of my career because I was done. And wow. that was so embarrassing. And so I, I, I'd like to think, I can't remember if I did this or not, but I'd like to think that I, that's how I kind of talked to him about, hey, I understand what it's like to, you know, to think, get all excited about something and think that you're doing something really great and then for it not to pan out, you know? And I think that's something that everybody goes through in their lives, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I can't believe, how old are you now? I'm 35. Wow. Um, it, it seems like it is, it is, it, it's odd how for, for me, podcasting has kind of connected like parts of my life. I remember where I was living at an apartment for about a month before I left because of terrible situations where, I think I, I heard you on eight four talking about that uh, <laughs> that that situation, which is kind of like crazy that that's flashing back to me right now. Oh, this is a small industry. It's so fun, right? Everything's interconnected. 
Um, but uh, I guess you know there there. Shenmue Three is obviously a, a gigantic project, but uh, you know, so so were the the first two. Um, I'm I'm kind of curious. Were there were there any thoughts that you got about you know the development of the the first couple games that um, that that really stood out to you? In terms of talking about it, uh, correct. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, I had a bunch of questions. So for me, when I as a fan, one of the things that is always got me and I got really interested and I always want to know more about um, was the Sega Saturn version of Shenmue. <laughs> yeah. And uh, again, if you go on YouTube, uh, it's one of the first things that pops up. It's there's this comparison video that shows all the, all the footage that they have of, of, of the Sega Saturn version that never came out, obviously. Um, and so just a couple days ago, I'd asked him about it. I'm like, what do you remember about the Sega Saturn version? And, <laughs> and he doesn't remember a lot. In fact, and I was so disappointed. Um, and I used to, I used to harp on about this all the time. I said, as one of the biggest stretch goals for the Kickstarter, we should have like somehow you could re-release it on Steam or something like that, mm-hmm. and get the code. And he doesn't know where it is. And it's just the Sega Saturn version. I'm gonna just just for the fans and for my own curiosity, I'm going to continue to prod and poke <laughs> about this and because uh, as a really quick aside, that just going through the the studio the other day. Um, it was one of the really great things that I saw um, for the game and the team is that he's been able to hire back a lot of the folks, like the veteran folks that had worked on their, the first two games. Oh, that's awesome. And so I'm hoping that those guys have a better memory than he does. Um, and then maybe they can help me either just give me more funny anecdotes about the Sega Saturn version or maybe even help me track down some of the code. But it's a, that is like my kind of my, my holy grail when it comes to this project for sure. Um, but he doesn't remember much about it, but he, I, I did w- walk him through that video um, that's on YouTube that shows like the, the Sega Saturn version. Mm-hmm. And he, he was surprised about how far along it looked. Um, he was really fixated on the fact that the mirror, uh, one of the, the two mirrors that, that Rio has to find in the game, mm-hmm. um, that, that it's like in like a box, like underneath the, the, the ground, as opposed to being, um, in the, do- hidden in the, in the dojo. And he was, right. he couldn't remember why that was, why, why, why that had changed. Um, he, he really loved the way that the game looked. Actually, he was really impressed with how good Rio Rio looked, which is something that they're working on the new game and making sure that he looks, you know, just like he did before, but like more resed up. Um, he talked about something that I didn't know about, and maybe he's talked about previously in other interviews that I wasn't aware of. But he did mention that the Sega Saturn version, even back at that time, that there was basically two versions that they were looking to build. That they're looking to build two games, mm-hmm. and that this was like the first half of the story, and then there was going to be a second half. Kind of like what they do in like manga over here. That they'll have like a first half and a second half and right. separated into two books. Um, and so then he, but he said that, that that consisted of the game's eleven chapters. Um, and so I thought that was interesting that even back then that they knew that this thing wouldn't fit on one one in one project, right? Well, even in this demo, it looks like, and I, I remember seeing this this years ago. And just what, what my first thought when I saw it years ago was like, this just looks like Virtual Cop. <laughs> like the virtual cup engine or something like that, yeah, but obviously, right? yeah. uh, you know, much more detailed, something that is incredibly impressive for the, the Sega Saturn hardware, which is infamous for being just really hard to do 3d on. But, um, it looks like there are scenes from both games, uh, should be one and two in this Sega Saturn footage. Yeah. And, and that's, that's something I was able to confirm with him, uh, again, when I was kind of interviewing him for this, which was, uh, that the, the, the first kind of story that he was setting out to build was very much like the story of Shenmue, what ended up becoming Shenmue 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And but that was all going to be like one package. Even when he moved on to Dreamcast, he talked about that as being like a one game experience, um, which ended up having to be cut in half. And so, uh, but post the the Shenhua story that you see at the end of Shenmue Two, there really isn't much content that was built, um, which would you know eventually, which would have been Shenmue Three. So it's interesting that he basically just had an, that's the content that he was looking to build at the beginning and that's what he was able to to ship eventually on two games uh, but nothing else beyond that even though we know that the game is supposed to go you know far beyond that in terms of how many chapters there are correct yeah i'm, I'm curious i i was always uh i guess i was always always curious about why he chose to go to china with the story or go to uh, hong kong and not stay in in Japan, if he was just like really fascinated with the the country or the, just the area of Hong Kong, yeah, I mean that's another that's a good question that um, I'll let to ask him next time. But I know he was very fascinated about, about China and wanted to do like a Chinese inspired epic, mm-hmm. um, and and that to me is a really is a really really cool idea. Um, and and he went there recently again for for research for the new game, so which awesome. I was sad I went, I wasn't able to join him for. But um, one of the other things he said about the Sega Saturn game I thought was interesting is he said that. He kept pointing out like the quote unquote pre-rendered backgrounds, and I was like, "What pre-rendered backgrounds?" And he kept pointing at them. And apparently, I don't know. He says that a lot of those scenes that you're seeing have pre-rendered backgrounds. That's why it looks so good. Um, huh. But the camera was moving, so I wasn't quite sure how they were doing that. So uh, yeah. that was something that I thought was kind of curious. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm looking at this. You know, again, right now, it's uh, hmm. So yeah, well, it's impressive, I guess. Yeah. And then. Um, and then the last thing about the Sega Saturn version, he basically said, is that yeah, it obviously was moved on the Dreamcast because they needed a killer killer title for Dreamcast, and, uh, and so they, they moved development over to that. And uh, as the game started to expand, the the first chapter started to expand where he's adding more scenarios and more subquests. That's when things just got out of control, and he had to split the game into half, basically. Oh, this is uh, this is like really super cool stuff, and uh, just this whole discussion, uh, and even looking at these things on on YouTube is getting me even even more <laughs> excited. And the thank you YouTube for, and this is a, a really great series. I'm sure people, if you're listening to the show, you probably checked it out. But G4 used to have a really great show called uh, Icons. Um, oh and, yeah, and the I guess it was Tech TV at the time, but there's a there's an episode. Uh, all about, I guess, Shimu and his other previous games uh, as well. That are that's worth checking out. That's a really, really great series. And thankfully, YouTube saved that stuff. Uh, and whoever bought Tech TV didn't destroy it. I guess G Four, yeah, whoever thankfully. bought G Four. <laughs> um, so I don't, I don't know. Uh, is this uh, is this maybe a spot where we should sure. we should pause and we'll we'll talk. talk to the Patreons in a, in a couple minutes. Does that make Let's sense? Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's do that. Okay. Uh, but for, for everyone else, before we do wrap up and you know, this is a great opportunity. If you do really enjoy this show and uh, to be honest, selfishly, this one has been an absolute blast for me, but um, <laughs> for, for people out there, if, if you really want to help me continue to do this show, um, like literally a dollar per episode or about $4 per month, less than I use the you know equivalent of a cup of coffee, but that's kind of what it is. Uh, you can help me produce these shows and continue to deliver to you deliver them to you every single week and cover all the costs of bandwidth and just the time. It takes a lot of time to put all this stuff together. So um, I want to say thank you to all those patron supporters. That's why we're going to come back in a second to talk to them and, and do some more of the, the fantastic Q and a that Ryan has, but um, for everyone else, um, please make sure that you're going in and checking out uh, Ryan stuff at Ryan Payton on Twitter and also um, at camouflage. And I made sure that I, I wrote down the name because I knew I was going to mess it up, but uh, CAM, 
O U F L A J uh, for camouflage. And uh, like you said, uh, Republic, it's available pretty much everywhere right now. So you can go pick it up and and check out that game. And that, that must have been just an unbelievable project for you and your team. Oh, yeah. It was a, it was our first first game. It took me four and a half years to build uh, five episodes, about 10, 15 hours of story-driven gameplay. It's really, really took a lot out of me, but I'm incredibly proud of the game and uh, uh, really lucky that we had, a, just like Shemu, had a great Kickstarter um, and uh, we've fulfilled everything that we we set out to do, except the damn collector's edition box, which is arriving very soon to, to, the, <laughs> to the to the to the to the uh, to those people who are very generous to us. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's been a, a like a dream project for me. I'm really really happy that as a studio, we're just we're, we we live on to to make make game two, um, not necessarily another Republic game, um, but we're working on our second game, which is uh, really exciting. I'm looking forward to play. I, I picked up, I, I pre-ordered, this is like a while back, I pre-ordered a copy on the PlayStation 4 thinking I would have a PlayStation 4 for Persona 5. <laughs> um, well, Persona Kevin, 5 got you'll delayed. be getting a PlayStation 4 again. We know this. We, we, I'm absolutely getting a PlayStation 4 and there's there's one reason that we talked about on this show and again, Persona 5 and again to play the unopened copies of Republic and also <laughs> Gravity Days HD collection are remastered. Um, these and un- I have a copy of Until Dawn which is sealed and just waiting for a place maybe i should buy a playstation 4 <laughs> well you you'll kevin you'll be getting back all that stuff that you sold off in that very sad episode with cvx my my, my friend oh man like um, we, we know we all know this all your listeners know this look at how like, bad alex has been he, he, he has like eight thousand <laughs> verse he bought all the ps4 remakes of all the resident evil games like do we really need those alex it's just such a funny episode you guys are just have already rebounded uh it's just it's 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 a it's ebb and flow it's it's like a it's like a rubber band you kind of pull it back and then you go back to where you were before but then you you just kind of go back and forth and it's i'm very flexible person and i'm surrounded by six dreamcast consoles which is really against what i was supposed to do before but (laughs) when you have to celebrate the summer of dreamcast you have to buy six dreamcast consoles and- I, I guess so just do me a favor next time you think about selling off all these amazing games that you've collected <laughs> uh, just, just just call me and we'll you, talk about it you know you you and uh you know i got great messages like john ricardi whenever he, i am am posting about this stuff he's like what what are you selling what yeah exactly <laughs> how much how much would it cost to ship to you know well, Tokyo? Thing. i don't want it kevin i've me and mark mcdonald a good friend we both we've both ascended beyond the physical um <laughs> physical realm uh but for folks like you uh we, we we still we need you guys in our lives like john ricciardi like the guy yeah. cvx these guys mike micah these guys that are so interested oh, in mike. preserving the physical of it that's yeah. that's important you know yeah, and I do have. I have an extensive uh, physical PlayStation Vita collection, which I'm very. I'm one of the three people that have more than two PlayStation Vita games physical, uh, which I'm proud of. And I have some. You know, someone showed up with 24 and 64 cards, so now I have 24 and 64 games that I didn't ask for. But uh, sometimes you need to have a copy of Pokemon Snap in your closet. Just yeah, you do. That's a good game. I mean, this is super fun. And good job with the show. And. Uh and, uh, and your, and your Patreon listeners, I know that they obviously they all really appreciate what you do. And, uh, you know, you do a really great job. Um, and cause you stay positive, you're well-informed, uh, and your, your passion comes through. And I think that's really important uh, for this show. And I, and I think I could speak for the, your, all your listeners that you're just, you're doing a great job and just keep it up. 
I, I'm, I'm a firm believer. Thank you so much, Ryan. But I, I'm a firm believer that video games should be fun and that you should only talk and play about video games that make you enjoy them. And mm-hmm. like, that's a weird thing with the internet today. I know we're supposed to hate everything, but um, I'm a firm believer that snarkiness does not need to be in every every comment that we make. So I yeah. I'm going to continue to to do my best to make that that happen. But um, I am going to let you go and I'm going to let the Patreon supporters, uh, if you are getting really hyped for Shenmue, and I'll make sure that I mention this in the start of the, the pre of the, the other show, but um, I want to make sure that you guys know you can still do, I guess this is like a really weird term, but slacker backer stuff on uh, for Shenmue 3. So you can still you know back this game and get ready for you know PlayStation 4 or the PC version of this game. Um, estimated delivery December 2017. So maybe you know we'll continue to cross our fingers, but uh, we'll we'll see what happens with that stuff. But um, and did did you say you you had a like a special message? Yeah. So we'll maybe just wrap up the show with a, a special message from uh, Yu Suzuki to to you and and your listeners, uh, and uh, probably the way we'll, we'll go out. Ah,新聞のファンの皆さん、ね、あの今日夜あの新聞3を作るために頑張ってます。これからも。お願いします。Back in my place. Thank you.